When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. I'm your host and valedictorian, Eric Brotman, and this is a very special episode because it is the beginning of our third season of Don't Retire, Graduate, Uh, and we have grown this show to now more than 10,000 listeners a month. I I couldn't be more gratified. Uh, I thank all of you for listening and for sharing the show. Uh, And our guest today, this is going to be a really interesting show because our guest today is Jim Miller. Uh, Jim's an entrepreneur, an accountant, an inventor, a personal finance expert, an author, a dad, and a former rock star focused on creating things that make the world better. And he wrote a book called Budgeting Doesn't Have to Suck. And I'm here to figure that out because I think it does suck. So, Jim, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you very much, Eric. Pleasure to be here. Uh, so, so I, I, you know, I can't look at your bio and not immediately first say, well, what kind of rock star were you? Because um, I know that's <laughs> off topic, but I've got to know. Yeah, well, my life was music primarily from the age of five and beyond. Uh, played in a lot of different bands created a lot of albums and spent a lot of time on stage. Um, towards the end of sort of the musical part of my life, um, I got into accounting. I never really enjoyed school very much, to be honest. And although it might sound odd to some people, when I found accounting, which was around my sophomore year of college, um, it was one of the first courses I really excelled in without even having to try. And I continued with it, and I, I enjoyed it a lot and stuck with it. Um, and, you know, of course, graduated with a, an accounting degree, and I've been doing that ever since. You know, music and math have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't think a lot, you know, I, I am not a music student. I, I sing basically three places, the shower, the car, and a karaoke stage if, <laughs> if someone's willing to have me. Um, so, so, but I, I, I do understand that my daughter studies music, and there's a lot of math in that. So I guess it's actually kind of a natural transition to accounting. Um, how did you get into personal finance? I mean, you, you sort of, uh, you explained the accounting degree, but the... The, the piece about personal finance and some of your entrepreneurial background, tell us your story. How did you get there? Yeah, well, that's a good question. And a lot of people don't ask that. I didn't start this way. Like I said, a musician, you know, you don't have much money, but I started working in accounting as a, you know, while I was still in college. Um, as a younger person, a kid, I was a great earner and saver. But in my 20s, I had, you know, things got let go a little bit in my early 20s. And I had some credit card debt and I didn't have much in the way of discretionary funds or extra money. Um, I spent money on stupid stuff and the mistake was not planning properly. So, you know, as I said, I was working as an accountant and I, I decided to put a budget together. This was Excel. This is 2003 or so. Um, and I put a, you know, laid everything out in Excel to see where I was at. Um, and I made some projections, you know, like I had done for businesses previously. And, and currently, uh, I honestly didn't read personal finance books at the time. I'd read a lot of accounting books. Um, So I focused on increasing earnings and reducing expenses, automating my savings and investing, monitoring my net worth. That was really my gauge. 
And alongside that, I really just focused on bettering myself and getting healthier and stronger. And I believe you need all those things to be more successful with money. I tell clients and listeners all the time that um, I'm not going to impose uh, either a budget on them or a budgeting process for them. People Mm -hmm. hear budget and they think root canal. Um, And, and, you know, we budget for the company and we do pro formers for the company. But I don't do that at, for my household. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this, this whole idea that either we're going to impose restrictions on us in terms of do we, do we dine out or do we buy groceries, uh, or that someone, even worse, some third party is going to tell us what we can or can't spend. And, and that's why I don't ever do that to, to clients. So it help, yeah. help me understand why budgeting doesn't have to suck. Yeah, well, there are a lot of reasons. I think the biggest one is it doesn't have to be restrictive. Um, It also doesn't have to be meticulous on an ongoing basis. I think it's important for anyone who's starting out or struggling or wants to make improvements that they set up a budget to see where they're at. You know, maybe you're spending more on one thing than another and you you have no idea. Uh, You know, if you're a single person, you know, young single person spending more on restaurants and hanging out or entertainment, let's call it, that might be okay. Uh, You know, so you just have to look at really where you're where you're spending your money and that that's the main focus of that starting point and then you can sort of forecast from there um, I don't think someone who's been good with money for a handful of years and you know things are, are going well and they're managing their money whether they admit it or not but it's not it may not be to a very detailed level and I think that person can maybe start to let go a little bit or maybe they focus just on their net worth or maybe they just kind of you know a, a single, KPI or indicator like that to see how things are going. And I think that's just fine. But the focus of budgeting really needs to be for people um, who who need a starting point or who need that guide. And then, you know, it can relax a bit from there, for sure. There's a, uh, a tendency, a tendency for people to have income come in, they get their paychecks or whatever it is, and then they spend and they do their bills and they do whatever. And then they hope to have money left over at the end of the month. Um, and that's not a savings plan. That's not a budget and it's not healthy. So, you know, we've been espousing that it's important to pay yourself first, whether it's, whether it's your 401k or your HSA or personal savings or debt reduction or whatever it is, yes. use that first and then live on what's left so that you're at least not spending more than you make is, is, is that one of the, the key components in your book? Is that, is that addressed in your book as well? It is, and that is so important. Uh, you know, what you don't want to do is spend and whatever is left gets saved. You need to save, invest, and then spend. And it's, you know, it's, it's such a more relaxing life to live, too. Um, it gives people confidence. And even if it, the same struggle is there for those people who might have a tighter situation um, or those who don't, but knowing that the savings and investing components of your financial picture is handled before you're even looking at it in your account is is such a game changer. Now, the the folks who pick up your book, um, I, do you have uh, either anecdotal or scientific evidence of any kind in terms of where they are in their uh, in their lifestyle? I know you're you're. Um, the, the book subtitle is for young adults who want more money. So mm-hmm. your target audience is, is clearly sort of the millennial generation, I would think. Um, mm-hmm. Are these folks saddled with debt and specifically student loans? Is that a, a common theme from the folks who maybe adopt your book and use this for debt reduction in, additional, in addition to other budgeting? 
Yeah, interesting question. So my what I see and how I hear from people who've read the book are, of course, are reviews, blogs online, and messages that I get, um, you know, through social media and through my website. Generally, these are young adults. Generally, these my readers, I should say, are people that um, are already sort of starting a path and have an interest in personal finance and trying to improve their situation. What I don't get a lot of, or I think a lot of the people that purchase the book are not people who are in dire straits, if you will. Um, I think those people get the book because someone, maybe a parent, purchases it for them. And you're absolutely right that you know my target, the subtitle for young adults who want more money, that is my my target audience, if you will. But there are plenty of adults, uh, you know, people in their 30s, 40s, 50s who who have read my book and found it as a good starting place. And um, ultimately, what I wanted to do by aiming it at young people, you know, there are a lot of personal finance and finance books out there, a lot of awesome ones. And Eric, I know you've written three excellent ones. Um, and mine is can be almost thought of as a starting point. You know, although everything's in it, it's 100 pages. And when I wrote it, it was 200 pages. And I worked really hard with the editor to whittle it down to 100 pages, um, you know, so that it's kind of an easy read. Someone could sit down and read it in an hour if they wanted to. Um, but then, of course, if they want to go through the steps, it can take, you know, a couple months to get through everything. But that's, um, you know, and then for someone who wants to continue from there, of course, they can graduate, if you will, to other um, other books and more information on the topic. But I tried to pack everything in here I could for the, the young adult just kind of starting off. I, I love that. And I love that it's a one hour read. Uh, in fact, the first book I did was called Debt Free for Life, and it was mm-hmm. a one hour one hour read deliberately. Um, and of course, I had uh, friends of mine who said, "Wow, I really enjoyed your pamphlet." Um, and that was that was them them teasing me because it wasn't a four hundred page tome. Um, but I, I think it helped a lot of people. And and this idea that this that your book is um, an, an easy read um, and that it has actionable steps um, mm-hmm. is so important. And and so certainly we're going to want to uh, at the end of the show we'll tell listeners how to find it and uh, and encourage people to read it. Um, do you suggest using some type of software other than just an Excel spreadsheet, um, some type of either online cloud-based software or, or even something, uh, you know, on your, on your mobile or on your PC, some mm-hmm. kind of software to track this and download expenses and, and uh, transactions and so forth. Do you, do you think that's a, a useful thing? I think it's so useful. So, you know, when I started out, those didn't exist. So I built a pretty fancy Excel workbook and ended up sharing it with some friends that used it. And I ended up sharing it on my website at the time. This is, you know, 2005 or so. And since then, uh, I've recalled that Excel workbook that I built because the apps out there, they're amazing. Um, What I recommend to people is choose two of them, uh, try them both out after some research and whichever one you like, the least, obviously, get rid of it and continue with the other. Personally, uh, and I make no money, I have no affiliation with them at all. It's a free app, but I use Mint. Um, but there are several other excellent ones out there. And what's nice about it is you don't have to do much. So you connect the app, you plug your credit cards and bank accounts, investment funds, anything else into it, and the transactions import automatically. So you can be on the go uh, and see exactly how much you may or may not have to spend, or even if you just want to track your net worth, you can do it all from, from your phone and literally very little maintenance. Mint, Mint is one of the one of the sites that we've referred folks to as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I also really like Quicken. And again, I, I have no financial yes. uh, involvement with either of these companies, but um, Quicken isn't free, 
but it is incredibly thorough. And, and I have found for households that are trying to not only um, track uh, income and expenses, but also want to leverage that in some basic tax preparation or even investment management and portfolio review, um, that it becomes a pretty robust tool. And it's, you know, I think it's $80 a year or something. It's not a, a, a wild expense, but yeah. um, are, have you, are you familiar with that one as well? I am. Yeah, I've actually used it. I, I, you know, before I wrote my book, I tested out a few different um, platforms, and that was one of them, and uh, it was excellent. So, so let's talk about credit cards, um, mm-hmm. simply because uh, credit cards are um, incredibly useful tools that have um, some security and some payment protection and some insurance and uh, sometimes, uh, you know, bonuses or, or whether it's airline miles back in the pre-COVID days when we used to fly um, <laughs> or whether it's uh, shopping points or whether it's cash back. Or, there, there's lots of reasons why credit cards are popular. Um, yes. They're also really dangerous. Um, particularly for young people who are who really are just establishing their credit and maybe don't know um, the trouble they could get themselves into or, or how quickly. Where do you stand on the use of personal credit and particularly unsecured credit? I don't mean like lines of credit on a home or something, but the, the unsecured mm-hmm. consumer credit. Well, I agree with everything you just said. It can be dangerous. I fell into that trap a little bit in my early days as well. And, you know, of course, I'm sure you and I both have, have seen people who fell badly into that trap and it can take a long time to get out, but they can certainly get out. From a personal standpoint, I'm a huge credit card fan and believer and user. As long as you pay it off each month, um, you know, you, and as long as the rewards that you might be receiving exceed any um, annual fee that you're paying. So whether, like you said, hotel or travel points, those aren't as valuable right now, but they were, and they will be again, hopefully soon. Um, but cash back, you know, those are, those are real rewards. I, uh, one of my cards is an Amazon card. That's the primary card I'm using these days. And, you know, every month I get a hundred bucks that I can spend on Amazon. It's, you know, it's free money and I, I pay, pay very little. So in that case, it works out. It does come with the, you know, it's a double-edged sword for people who might be tempted to overspend. And I think the most important thing there is just education, um, you know, and discipline and um, people learning that, you know, your credit score, which is so important, is based in part on how much of your credit balance you utilize. So I tell people to stay under 25% of their available credit. Don't spend over that on a credit card and pay it off each month. And if you do that, and you can trust yourself, you'll be okay. If for some reason you, you can't trust yourself, you know, then I think maybe for those people, it's best to avoid credit cards for a little bit, but they should really focus more on themselves and um, being able to control their spending. Let's talk about one of the, uh, one of the challenges that young people have, um, which is when they suddenly have a significant other or partner and they're contemplating either marriage or cohabitation or some kind of financial sharing arrangement where they're now going to be um, responsible more to just themselves. Mm. How do you deal with, or what do you suggest that folks do if, um, if each party of that, um, first of all, I think you have to have some transparency. You've got to be clear with one another, but beyond that, how do you have folks communicate, um, handle the budgeting? This is like a negotiation, but it's one of the things couples fight about most is money. It's money and kids. So Absolutely. how do you navigate that, you know, that mind, that minefield? People need to have a conversation. 
uh, people need to sit down and have a conversation about, uh, you know, sort of their philosophy on money and their goals. And, you know, it might sound outlandish to some people to do something like that. But like you said, so many arguments are about money. So many divorces are about money. Uh, it's, it's such an important topic if someone takes money seriously or not. I actually wrote an article for uh, Mint.com several years ago, just a, a blog on their website, but it was about my sort of story through that process. Um, I didn't have that conversation when I got married, and my wife's a little bit of a spender. So we, you know, through implementing Mint and having conversations about it and sort of educating each other on where we're trying to get financially and what, what's important to us, uh, you know, that's something we sort of worked out after the fact, and it worked out great for us, but for a lot of people, it doesn't. Um, you know, I don't know the details. I know in the there's in the Jewish tradition, uh, I'm not Jewish, so I'm not very familiar with it, but there's a process before you get married where you sit down and you have a conversation with a rabbi, and one of the things you talk about and get out in the open is finances, and you talk about debt that you might have and what your goals are and how much money you have, and they just get everything on the table. And I think that's uh, fantastic, actually. I, you know, I think everyone should do that. It would probably save a lot of relationships, but... Um, the main thing is communication, and if people can just be up front and not be guarded and, and shy about that kind of thing, the, you know, they'll have a better life because of it. When you look at your personal balance sheet, and I don't mean your personal one, but when anybody looks at their own balance sheet, um, mm -hmm. you know, and you're, you're tracking your assets, you're tracking your liabilities, ideally your liabilities are either going down or you're only accumulating new liabilities as collateral for something that's, that's going to grow. Um, and of course your assets ideally are growing either by rates of return or by uh, regular deposits or some combination. Um, the, the balance sheet itself doesn't tell the whole story though, that you're, you're, you spend most of your time talking about, I think the, the personal P and L, the profit and loss statement, the income and the expenses. And one of the things in the book is about how to grow income. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that because, it, you know, cutting expenses is one thing and none of us love to do it necessarily, although it feels good afterwards. It's always yeah. no fun to figure out what we're going to cut. What are we going to stop doing that we clearly like doing? Um, and some of it's like the streaming sites and all that, like, you know, people look through and realize they're signed up for eight different TV subscriptions <laughs> or something and they only need right. one. Um, but beyond that, how, how, the only other way to improve your P&L other than reducing expenses is increasing income. So what are the, what are the tools or, or techniques for that? Yeah, well, so that's an excellent point. And that's not talked about enough. And that's part of what gives budgeting such a bad rap because, you know, people think it's talking about cutting expenses in this horrible, timid life where you're, you know, you have a bag full of nickels in your pocket. But that's, that's old school to me. And I don't think that applies to anyone, myself or anyone that I know. I think once people get their financial world in order and they have a little bit of a plan, then it's time to focus on increasing your income. And that's done by, you know, really two different things. One is bettering yourself, uh, you know, work on yourself, work on setting some goals. These can be small things, work on eating a little bit better. You, you feel, a, feel, feel a little bit better, um, you know, improve your habits a bit and that's going to improve your luck. You're going to, you're going to encounter, um, more opportunities. You're going to encounter people with more opportunities and it's all part of the plan. So I think it's very important as people do that to work towards increasing their income, whether that means they're, um, you know, asking for a raise at their job or whether they're 
looking at a different type of job or different type of work or educating themselves so that they're open to more opportunities. Maybe it's networking, which I think is so important and really important for people to do, uh, whether they're you know suddenly out of a job or have a great financial life. Networking is is key so that when you have a tough situation that you come across, you've got people that are there and you know able and willing to help you because you've been helping them as much as you could during the process. So absolutely, you know, don't focus just on expense cutting. That's sort of the initial step. Make sure you're not wasting money. There's no hole in the boat. But after that, grow. Focus on growing yourself, growing your income, and do everything you can. That's the fun part. Cutting expenses isn't fun, but growing is can be very rewarding. Yeah, cutting expenses is like thou shalt not. You know, what, what, <laughs> right. what, am, I, what am I giving up? Um, that maybe I don't want to. Um, now, one thing I didn't hear you mention was this this um, millennial concept of the side hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, the the idea that um, we're all free agents. And um, so in addition to maybe having a career or even an employer, a lot of mm-hmm. folks are also moonlighting or consulting or or they're hustling in some other way. Um, how important is that? Um, as a part of this process. Is that something you see a lot? I do see it a lot. And I see a lot of people frustrated by it. They see, you know, that buzzword side hustle. And I'm not downing it. I talk about it. And I, I have a couple blog articles about it. And I talk about it in my book. Um, I think, you know, an extra stream of income is great if people are realistic that what they might be doing might create two or 300 bucks a month. And if they're lucky, maybe a thousand bucks a month. But you know, if someone's really looking to, to increase their income, I, you know, focus on your, your big picture, whether you want to work for yourself or if you want to get a promotion or work in a different field and educate yourself. Um, side hustles can be great. Now, if someone is, you know, in a job they may not love and they're there to make money and, you know, they've got a passion project on the side, it makes a few hundred bucks a month, great. But I think the illusion of people having these million dollar side hustles needs to be tamed down a bit. Um, it's a lot of marketing and, um, you know, I think a more realistic approach would be helpful to people. So one, one of, um, my fellow podcasters, Paula Pant has an incredible show called, uh, afford anything. And her premise is you can afford anything. You can't afford everything. And it's, it's the simplest concept, and it has stuck with me for, for several years since I, since I met her and, and came across her show. And when you talk about budgeting, one of the things a lot of times we talk about is the, the different time frames. I mean, one of them is what is the long-term retirement savings and the financial independence goal, which I tend to think most of the time needs to come, if not f- before the, um, uh, the, some of the spending goals, but, but it's certainly one of the more important ones. Maybe you also have a short-term goal, which is to have an emergency fund so that you're not a missed paycheck or four new tires away from, from a problem or from, you know, tapping visa. Yes. Um, but then there's that intermediate term that, and, and especially with spouses, it's like, well, do we get a car or do we do the bathroom? Um, do we, you know, do, do we need, uh, you know, what kind of vacation are we going to take? I mean, people spend more time planning their vacations than their retirement, which is wild <laughs> in and true. of itself. Yeah. Um, and, and my wife and I have had that discussion because she can navigate Disney World in ways that no one can. And yet, <laughs> if I asked her for our retirement plan, despite my best effort, she would say, I, I, I don't know, but I hope you have it under control. <laughs> so, um, so, so how do you how do you how do you handle all of those competing priorities? 
That is a tough question. I, th I think it's different for, for every person. Uh, I think the long-term vision needs to be agreed on. I think people need to know where they want to land and when they want to land there. And I think every, everything in between will sort of fit into that plan once you have that. Otherwise, it could be very difficult. There's a, there's a tipping point somewhere between um, the, the, the pocket full of nickels you talked about, which is the miserly, I save every penny and I, I eat ramen every night and I do nothing <laughs> right. waiting for the rainy day. And, yeah. and frankly, I, we've seen those people who build multi-million dollar net worth and never do anything. And it is tragic to me because it, it really, it's almost, it's almost like a, um, it's almost like a mental illness of sorts. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I'm, I don't mean that clinically, but I mean, there's, there's this, fear of spending is is one side of that then you have the other end of the spectrum which is i'm living for now and i don't care about the future it's like the ant and the grasshopper fable <laughs> um <laughs> how do you how do you find that tipping point not just for yourself but for families and uh and so forth yeah well another really interesting question uh i suggest that people and i do this of course for myself i i you know live live what i preach but Get your base set up, get your foundation solid, get your emergency fund, whatever that looks like, whether you're single or a family person, get everything, your stable built, and then you can have freedom from there. Um, then you can explore, then you can you know, decide to spend certain amounts of money in other areas. And I agree that nothing worse than someone who's a hermit their whole life. What a waste of a, a life. What a waste of being good with your finances. Um, you need to live. And you know, some people talk about retiring early and or doing mini retirements, if you will. Um, all those things are, are great and it's different for each person, but get your, your foundation stable and then live the life that you want to live. But certainly don't, uh, don't be a miser and uh, you, know, you can't be cheap. That's not the idea. Enjoy your life. So let's talk about the sandwich generation. Because you, you know you, you, your book targets young young adults, but young adults get older and they have children, and then their parents get older, and all of a sudden, you know, the folks in their in their forties and fifties are in a totally different spot. They're worried about mom and dad who are eighty. They're educating their kids who are ten uh, or fifteen or whatever, and they're trying to put away enough money for their own retirement while still living their lives and they're being pulled in every direction. What kind of advice would you give someone who's, um, who's sort of feeling like that whack-a-mole game is being played? Yeah, well, that, that's tough. There's no easy answer there. The most important thing and what comes to my mind first is education and educating those around you. Even a 10-year-old, you can start to teach about money. You can start to teach them you know, work skills and, and how to do things and how to think independently. I think that's probably my best answer to that question is just to pass around and share the education so that, you know, all that weight doesn't fall on one person. Are there any, I, I hate the term rules of thumb because when I think one size fits all, I think of a hospital gown, which <laughs> I don't know about you, it may fit everybody, but it's not becoming. Um, <laughs> but are there, are there rules of thumb, not necessarily for how much to save, but for certain big things um, I, I don't think we should get our advice from real estate or mortgage people about how much house we should be in. Sure. Because there's, there's an inherent conflict of interest there. Um, 
are there rules of thumb in terms of what you ought to spend for um, whether it's housing or risk management and insurance or uh, or retirement savings or other things? Are there are there parameters? Are there best practices? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of different levels there. You know, the housing you don't want to spend more than thirty percent of your gross income on your house, for example. But personally, and what I talk about in in the book and in my writings. Uh, and when I speak on podcasts like this, is that it's it's really different for every person. Um, some people may not value having a big or nice home. They might value traveling, and they want to you know live in different places, or they might want two homes or a rental home. Uh, you know, so everyone has such different goals there. So I think there are some kind of rules that can fall in place, and you want to make sure that you know again through budgeting that that everything gets covered. But beyond that. I think it's really important, and I think that's an area where people can express their individuality uh, because, you know, it doesn't have to be the same for everyone. I love that. I love that it's individualized. Um, so we're, we're at the point in our show where I need to put you on the spot and ask you for an extra credit uh, assignment for our listeners. Um, the one step that they can take or the one, um, the one thing to take away from our time together today, what would that extra credit be? Yeah, uh, the most important extra credit assignment or idea that I could offer to your audience would be to self-educate. Um, you know, there are people like you who who teach and, and talk about these things all the time, and um, there are a lot of people who haven't found someone like you or myself, and or they're not yet listening to this podcast, and hopefully they do soon. But self-education is so important at every stage, whether you're in a high school student or whether you're a 60 or 70 or 80 year old, you know, you always want to be learning and finance is such an important thing to self-educate yourself on because you can lose money if you do the wrong things. And, uh, you know, it, it's just so important. So my answer to that would be self-education 100%. Well, self-education sounds a lot like financial literacy education, and mm -hmm. you've written a book that can be part of someone's education. How can people get a copy? Yeah, thanks. Uh, the best, well, my book is sold everywhere that great books are sold. Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, several other uh, retailers. It's also available as an ebook. The best way to find it, I would say, is just to go to my website, IamJimMiller.com. And from there, there's links to the book, my social and all that kind of good stuff. Jim, we'll make sure that that contact info is in the show notes from today. You've been an awesome guest. I want a copy of your book. We'll have to talk offline and maybe swap books. Um, yes. That would be terrific. And uh, you've been a great guest. So thank you for thank being on the show. Thank you so much, Eric. This was great. For all our listeners, please subscribe to our podcast and post comments and reviews. Don't Retire, Graduate is a book available in print, Kindle, and audio formats. For more information or to order your copy, go to brotmanmedia.com slash books or search for me on amazon.com. To learn more about BFG Financial Advisors, visit us on social media or at bfgfa.com. We'll be back next week with another installment of Office Hours and in two weeks with another engaging guest. For now, this is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate. From this day forward, let us begin visualizing our dreams and building our futures. Today, I implore you, don't retire, graduate. Visit our website at don'tretiregraduate.com to subscribe. And please like us and post comments on social media. 
Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS. Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS. An affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.